Happy New Year, Midnight Warriors, and welcome to a special short round edition of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallier. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we've got a review of Damien Chazelle's lusciously colored musical starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, La La Land. And then we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it! The ultimate resort. Let me do it this time. Where nothing... Nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm shot. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh my god. Shut down. Shut down immediately! Midnight Warriors, we are just about a week away from our special two-night-only event in partnership with Tulsa's only independent nonprofit theater, Circle Cinema. Join us on Friday, January 13th and Saturday the 14th at 10 p.m. for Michael Crichton's 1973 sci-fi western starring Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, and James Brolin, Westworld. I'll be there. Hunter will be there. And I'll be there. In spirit. But... The three of us will be on the podcast next week for a special War Crimes review of the film. Look for it in your podcast feed or subscribe now to know when it drops. And tickets are on sale now. Just follow the link in the show notes to get them. Uh, we really look forward to seeing you out there. And I look forward to knowing you're out there. <laughs> Hearing about it from Chris and Hunter later. All right. We have one other little bit of uh, housekeeping news before we get into our review. Uh, there's going as we move into 2017. Um, there's going to be some minor changes sort of to the format of the show. Um, we're going to probably be losing special features, not necessarily altogether, but cutting them out of the general typical show uh, to save a little bit of time in uh, production, that sort of thing. And we are also playing with the idea of moving more focused on war crimes reviews, just from a standpoint of it'll be a little bit easier um, to schedule recording as things get a little a little crazier um, in the coming months. Yeah, one of us is having a major life event. Um, I have a cat living in my house right now. so <laughs> And I will soon have a baby living in my house. Right, so the cat thing is why, you know, we're not going to have as much time. Right. You got to scoop the litter box every day. It's, it's just insane. Uh-huh. Everybody knows. Every that. day? You got to do that every day? Uh, if you don't want it to smell like cat, you do. Oh, okay. Uh, but we have a little proposition for you guys, the Midnight Warriors. Um, I'm going to link to my war crimes list and Jake's war crimes list in the show notes. If there is a film on there that you really want to hear us talk about or a film on there that you cannot believe one of us has not seen, email us at hello at starts at midnight.com. Tell us you want to hear a review of that and we will try our damnedest to uh, deliver it to you. Or if you just want us to review Canadian ninja ice hockey, Johnny Depp, Kevin Smith kid movie. Or if from that you can figure out what the actual title of that movie is, Drew will review it. The The title of that movie is Yoga Hosers, and hopefully Drew will, will <laughs> review it in a upcoming episode. I really have my fingers crossed because that movie looks and sounds terrible. Yeah. Or, you know, if you want me to just watch, you know, Alien, Aliens, any of the Alien movies, I've never seen any of them. Yeah, you've got uh, you got four of them now. Alien, Aliens, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection, I believe. Yeah, you, you told me to watch that, that movie where they were on the spaceship and kind of trapped and couldn't do anything, and I watched Rocket Man. From, uh, <laughs> I'm not very good. you got to be very specific very with specific. what you want me to watch. Very specific. Uh, all right, folks, stay tuned. Our review of La La Land is coming up next. Some other girl would love this swirling sky, but there's only you. 
And we've got no shot This could never be You're not the type for me And there's not a spark inside What a, a waste of a lovely night You say there's nothing here Well, let's make something clear I think I'll be the one to make that call But you'll call And though you look so cute in your polyester suit It's wool You're right, I'd never fall for you at all And maybe this appeals To someone not in heels Or to any girl who feels There's some chance the romance I'm frankly feeling nothing Is that so? Or it could be less than nothing Good to know, so you agree That's right What a waste of a lovely night When I heard there was a new film coming out by director Damien Chazelle, the guy who gave us 2014 Sundance hit turned Oscar Dark Horse Whiplash, I was excited. When I read it was a musical, I was elated. And when I discovered it starred Emma Stone and America's boyfriend, Ryan Gosling, I was filled with such giddy anticipation that I knew it couldn't possibly live up to my own personal hype. Functioning as a send-up to the MGM song and dance musicals of old, and an earnest attempt to revitalize the genre, La La Land is a story of love, creativity, and ambition, and the difficulties of balancing all of those at once. Sebastian, played by Ryan Baby Goose Gosling, is a purist jazz aficionado to a fault, who dreams of one day opening his own jazz club in loving memory of the greats he idolizes. Mia, played by Phil Lucia's former schoolmate Emma Stone, is an aspiring actress who slings coffee at the Warner Brothers lot. By chance, their paths cross, they fall in love, and they spend the next year of their lives traipsing around Los Angeles, infectiously singing, dancing, and whistling in the lushest primary color-laden wardrobes possible. Jake, I'm curious. I know you shared a pent-up excitement for this picture. Was La La Land worth the wait? Or would you rather be watching the pilot for a television show that promises Dangerous Minds meets the OC? And furthermore... I'm thinking of opening a Samba Tapas place, and I'm looking for investors. You interested? Mm, I don't know. Is it going to be called Chicken on a Stick? <laughs> so I'm out. That's that's a terrible name for a Samba place or a Tapas place. Also, on your other question, maybe I will watch the TV show if it's Dangerous Men meets the OC. <laughs> that's the show I would watch. Oh, we should make that. Uh, we should. Could, I, I, could you, I think the world needs that. Could you imagine that pitch meeting? Dangerous Men meets the OC. What's Dangerous Men? Uh, if people are really interested in a good pitch meeting, they should hear uh, my pitch meeting that I'm sure happened for uh, Secret Life of a Dog or whatever that is. Oh, uh, man. No, a, a Dog's Purpose? Is that what it's called? Passion of the Dog. Passion of right. the Dog. Right. That's what I said. Yeah. So. Uh, it's future, future uh, review by Drew Allen. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be the or dark horse, dark, dark horse, 2017 Oscar uh, Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, Jake, um, La La Land. How did you feel about La La Land? Did it, did it meet expectations? Uh, I would say greatly exceeded expectations. Really? So, uh, and he, here's what I'll say. I don't think I was excited as excited about it as you were. Yeah. Uh, going I, into it. I liked the cast. I liked the trailer. But you were the first one who was like, "Oh, that's gonna be best picture." Really? I wow, that's uh, that's surprising. I I mean, and I 
I guess I was following it from a very, very early stage. I mean, it was like when the trailer dropped, I was already excited. Well, I didn't see uh, I didn't see Whiplash. Okay, so I didn't know the director that well. And, you know, generally, I'm not a musical guy. I liked, you know, singing in the rain and a couple other ones here or there. But it's not my go to genre. I think the best musical ever made was a goofy movie. But I feel like <laughs> everyone would agree on that. And there's no reason to argue. You know, I have been wondering how long it was going to take for you to drop a goofy movie because I feel like it would come up every once, once or twice a week in college. Uh, you've restrained yourself for a long time. I, I, I didn't want to just go dropping bombs on here that are going <laughs> to offend some people, but I have very strong convictions. Hashtag Oscar. So not goofy, but La La Land was amazing. Um, I, as, as I've said, I was extremely excited for this movie. And it, so I go buy my tickets in advance, go see it with my wife and some friends. And we get that opening little number on the highway in the traffic jam. Um, everyone spontaneously bursts into song and dance. Uh, it's like another in, sunny day or something like that. Yeah. And uh, everyone's in these, you know, they're in primary colors and they're dancing around. The camera's moving all around. And I was not blown away. I, um, us either. Really? Okay. I, I found myself. So I, I have a tendency if, if my mind starts to drift, I start to pay attention to the very technical things. And I found myself counting the number of cuts in this seemingly unbroken take. Um, I found myself doing the same thing, but also saying, man, the voice doesn't seem like it's matching up. It doesn't seem like it's coming out of these people's mouths. Yeah. It just seemed like, especially compared to what came. It, it seemed like poor, a little bit of like poor workmanship or something like it. Something didn't click for me. And it, it looked like when you watch a TV show that is normally like a sitcom and does a musical episode. Yes. Um, And nobody's quite singing right because maybe they're not real singers. Mm. Maybe they had to auto tune them. Maybe they just aren't familiar with the right way to cut all of it together. And I was I was ready for a rough ride after that yeah. first. So. Well, and, and so that's what I'll say. Like the execution, the execution as far as going, it, it is it is an impressive feat, but it did not get its hooks in me. And so I was now, I, I was prepared for the worst at that point. Now I know in retrospect why that scene opens the movie, and and at first I was thinking it, it didn't even matter, mm -hmm. but they wanted to set set up the hopes and dreams of L.A. That everybody is there for yeah. contrasted against that when the title card comes up that says winter and nobody's singing or dancing or anything. And also, I think it would have been weird, like one scene later when I think the first song is the girls trying to convince Emma Stone's Mia yes. to go out. Yes. When they just started singing randomly would have been weird. So they ripped that Band-Aid off early and nothing felt weird after that. Exactly. And, and so that's the like it that I, w I was very concerned there, but basically from there on out, I was more or less completely sucked in and enamored and in love with it. And, um, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I think, I think Chazelle is doing something really difficult and interesting here in the way that I, I think 2016 has been, um, and you know, past years in general, but, uh, has, has been a real, uh, year of a lot of, nostalgia and a lot of, um, you know, just saying, Hey, you love this thing. So here's something that we, we got a lot of this in 2015 as well, but, um, 
a lot of, here's the thing that you love. So we'll just change it a millimeter and then give it to you. And, uh, that's good enough. And I, he's, he's doing a little bit of that, but he's, he's not changing it a millimeter. He's borrowing just a tip of it and then doing his own thing. And I really love, and I really appreciate that, uh, because I think it's, that's a whole lot harder to win over an audience. And, and it's, it's also challenging to say, Hey, here's this genre that hasn't really been, you know, when, when sound came out, it was a huge hit. There hasn't really been a flood of, uh, musicals in quite some time, you know, every once in a while you'll get, you'll get a Chicago or you'll get a Sweeney Todd, um, et cetera. But, um, I guess frozen perhaps qualifies in, in that conversation, although it's an anime. Yeah. The, movie. the, the, tor- the torch of, uh, musicals was carried by Disney movies for 20 years. It, exactly. And that, and that's like, this is, I think this is as much a song and dance movie as it is just a song movie. Um, there's, there's a whole lot going into the choreography, into the, um, way, you know, it, it allows Chazelle allows the characters to just sort of move in front of the camera. He knows when to cut, when not to cut. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's pretty wonderful because it is, while it does have this glaze of like remembering MGM classics, um, it's also, it also feels like a very modern film. It does. It this easily could have missed its mark and been the artist, mm. which is a movie that I thought was kind of unoffensive. It was fine. I didn't love it. Um, didn't hate it though. Mm-hmm. But it easily could have been taking uh, the parts from the old movie, the Legos, so to speak, and building the same stuff that was being built before. I thought this movie took the Legos, so to speak, from those old ones and made something really different from it. It combined them in an interesting and new way, in a way that the artist did not. No, exactly. And since you've brought up the artist, let me bring up this question. The artist is a, the type of movie that it baffled me. On the one hand, it baffled me that it won the Golden Globe and the Oscar for Best Picture. On the other hand, it makes sense because Hollywood loves navel-gazing. Hollywood loves um, you know, rewarding something that pats itself on the back or that, that features Hollywood and itself and, uh, all of its industry and whatnot. Uh, so it, it kind of made sense in that regard. Um, I think this is doing something similar, but much better. Like you're saying, where do you think this stand now that you've seen it? Where do you think this stands Oscar wise? It it would be my choice for best picture. It's obviously it's obviously I don't think there's any competition on getting best original song. The only thing holding it back, I think, is the fact that the uh, uh, the artist got best picture a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and people may feel it's too soon, or maybe as a reaction to Oscar So White last year, people don't want to vote for it and want to vote for something with a little more diversity because. Even though La La Land was about jazz, uh, I immediately, because I love this movie, went and read all the negative reviews I could find to find out why anybody <laughs> wouldn't like it. You're a masochist. I am. And uh, I saw a couple people being like, oh, he loves jazz and it, he never once discussed the racial something, something, something of jazz. And that's that's fair. But he's also he's making a musical like that's that's the I. I think he does. And that would have felt so out of place in this hopeful, yeah. loving movie. 
Not that it's not that it's something that shouldn't be addressed or anything like that, but this wasn't the movie for that. Well, it, exactly, and that that's what I was about to say. He seems he seems to be very like if and you haven't seen Whiplash, is that right? I've not. So no spoilers. Diane Madeline on a park bench. Whiplash. This Damien Giselle definitely has a uh, a, a sort of focus that he like. It it, it seems like music and jazz um, is to him what the American family is to Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and I, I do not say that lightly. Um, he, he seems to be continually finding new ways to explore that and what the art form means, how the art form works, um, that sort of thing, the, the passion of it. And I hope that he continues to explore it and maybe down the road, you know, a musical is probably not the right place to get into, um, those sorts of discussions, but I do hope that down the road he does uh, dive into that deeper, darker, more uh, more difficult content to um, to address. I mean, this is all absolute wishful thinking, and I, I don't know if he will. But given his track record, I don't think he's going to stop making films about music anytime soon. Let Let me ask you this question because I don't know anything about his directing except for this movie. Uh, and I felt like this movie's direction felt like Edgar Wright's brother directed a musical. <laughs> like a lot of it was just creative ways to show you the same stuff. All the images were really striking. The cuts were all fantastic. And it borrowed a lot from the genre, mm-hmm. used the tropes of the genre or not tropes, but the uh, the language of genre to tell a new story that while being in genre was also kind of smarter than the genre and a little postmodern yeah and the viewer had to be familiar with all these other stuff or didn't have to but it helped to be familiar with it it, it adds um, to it 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 it's seasoning it peppers it but it's it functions on its own as well is his direction always this smart am i off with that description number one and two is his direction always this smart and this modern and and this exacting because he f- he felt in control so i think I, and I'll confess, I, I signed up for the two-week trial of Fandor to watch Guy and Madeline on a park bench. I attempted to watch it, and I couldn't get through it. I'm going to give it another chance, but it was it, – it felt like a student film or it felt like an early okay. – um, Whiplash, on the other hand, uh, I, I think absolutely has a lot of the things you're describing, but then also mm-hmm. – um, the more Edgar Wrighty things are maybe not there because he's not he's not playing with genre there. But Whiplash has some of the best editing I've seen in the past decade or so. Um, wow! And I think a lot of that though has it makes sense with his musical background. Um, the the editing feels like it's you know on a rhythm and it feels like there's there's this energy to it and uh, that's I think that's a really brilliant marriage. There is a at the the end of La La Land, there's there's a great sort of crescendo moment that lasts about ten minutes. There's a great moment like that, different but like that in Whiplash that just like basically left me sweaty and breathless. Um, do do you want to roll spoiler alert so we can talk about that ending? Um, let's talk about a couple things and then we we can get into that in, yeah, in okay, a moment. Okay. Let's let's talk about performances. What did you think about Baby Goose? What did you think about Emma Stone? I thought that they couldn't have cast it better. And I'm glad when when they find 
two people who are really likable and have really good chemistry when they put them in a movie that is not passengers. <laughs> That's what I like. I I think they're I, I think they are a very complimentary couple on screen. I got a call back. What? Come on. <laughs> For what? For a TV show. The one that I was telling you about earlier. The Dangerous Minds meets the OC? Yeah. Congratulations. That's really incredible. Exciting. I feel like I said negative stuff about it before. What? It's like Rebel Without a Cause, sort of. I got the bullets. Yes. You've never seen it. I've never seen it. Oh, my. You know it's playing at the Rialto. Really? Yes. You should, I mean, I'll, I can take you. Okay. You know, for research. For research? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Monday night, 10, 10 o'clock. Yeah, great. Okay. For research. Ryan Gosling is really, like, just impeccably charming and i've i've said this for a while now but his his comedic timing is his secret weapon it's a thing that more and more i notice about him and i appreciate about him um even more you know i know that he's an actor who's taken a lot of chances dramatically and that sort of thing and and i think generally he does a pretty good job with it but his secret weapon is his charm and charisma and timing you know that that's tom hank's secret weapon as well a, a lot of great actors have that mm-hmm. that ability to do comedy because they are so exacting and great at their craft that's that's john cena's secret weapon as well no john 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 cena's secret weapon is the attitude adjustment you should you should watch him wrestling that's his finishing move can you can, okay. continue okay fair but i i think in a stone she's doing something similar but different in i i love that emma stone is willing to uh, be goofy and and do things that other actresses might feel like she she's just willing to kind of make a fool of herself. I know. I liked I liked in this movie when she had the she was the poster on the wall and she had a hot dog in her hand. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was Saturday Night Live. I don't remember. But uh, no, she she does commit to comedy and she is OK with making herself look silly. Mm-hmm. Think think about the, the couple scenes where it's just the cameras on her dancing to the music happening on stage, whether it be um, the Flock of Seagulls song. Exactly. Uh, I ran or I ran this yeah. is the perfect like example of that where her dancing is just it's goofy. It's dumb, but it's also infectious. A lot of actresses wouldn't want to look that stupid exactly and and that's 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 sort of my point with her like she and so i think they complement each other really well and it's endearing when she looks stupid it's endearing yeah it is do you know the only other actress who i can think of who actually could have been in this movie but can play those same notes who anna kendrick hmm i I, to lesser effect though i think not not to say like i think i think her singing may have been better but um, I don't think the, cause it's not quite self-deprecating. Um, it's just a willingness to, uh, and I'm not to say that Kendrick is self-deprecating, but I, it, there's, there's just a free willingness to just dive into, to that, um, that I'm not sure. I'm not sure Kendrick would have pulled it off quite as well. I, I, I do think stone was the, the best casting decision they could have made for this role right now. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. So what about, what about Gosling? Uh, the only other person I could have watched was Channing Tatum. <laughs> God, Channing Tatum doing song and dance would have been great. But uh I I was impressed with the way that Chazelle 
uses long takes in this. And I don't know if Gosling knew piano, learned piano. They used digital. Oh, so I read about this. Uh, he worked on piano for something like two hours a day for you know, three, four, five, however many weeks before to learn how okay. to play it. He played all of it himself. And the quote I saw was John Legend basically said, I am jealous that he could learn that that quickly. <laughs> well, it was impressive. It was like to the point that as you know, there, there's a few of those moments where it starts on him, goes down to his hands, comes back up to him, clearly says like, this is, this is happening where I was just kind of jaw dropped and then and then also kind of like okay did they black swan this where they just kind of put his head on somebody's body it it was mm-hmm. it was very impressive and then and I, I kept trying to figure out when it got real close was that still his hands was that somebody else's right. hand? no apparently he learned how to i don't know if every single shot is his but what i saw on the infallible imdv trivia page right. was that this was all him playing that's that that's incredible and then and then you go to something like like the you mentioned the the party where they're they're playing iran and he's he's in some sort of like 80s cover band um and i love just the way that he he is so exacting and he plays exactly the notes that he has to but that is the it's the minimum amount of, amount of effort in his entire body like the amount of effort that it takes for his arm to move up a guitar is all that he's willing to give to this song that is killing him inside to perform. Yes, and you and you mentioned that scene and the the outfits in this whole movie are great, but including that scene is fantastic. And where can I get that for Halloween 2017? <laughs> yes. Slash for my Oscar party 2017. <laughs> it's no, it, it it's perfect. It's beautiful. And and my like that entire 80s cover band performance, like my mouth was open. I was smiling from ear to ear with glee. It was it was wonderful. It was amazing. I I uh, something I never compliment on any film ever. I thought the costumes were outstanding. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure if you're like a, a fashion costume person, you're like, yeah, you only notice it because they want you to notice it in this movie. Other films have great costume design because you don't notice it and it all looks right. I don't care. The color choices were great. Everything looked great. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, I even noticed that, you know, when they first meet, they're both wearing this beautiful dark royal blue, which implies mm-hmm. they're supposed to be together. And then kind of as the costumes change with their relationship, there there was actually a lot, a lot of nice subtlety going on there as as well. Um, okay, yes. OK. Talking about cast, um, if you had to recast this movie my my wife did not like emma stone and so we got into a conversation about who would you who would you cast in this let's let's change it up a little bit dream casting any era any decade any person um who would you do for mia oh good lord well i know um emma watson was scheduled to be in this turned it down for beauty and the beast which Hmm. also ryan gosling was scheduled to be the beast turned it down for la la land and i think that's a fine pick I, I think that's, um, but I, I think that's actually, that that's interesting because I think that probably works out for the better for all involved. Parties. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, also, you know, put, put the British girl in Beauty and the Beast, put the American girl in, like, let's just save the accents and do it the right way. <laughs> um, anytime, can I just say... You know, Gene Kelly and Judy Garland and be done. You can. You you certainly. I mean, Gene Kelly, I, I have such a soft spot for and I have seen nothing close to all of his. Um, 
No. And if you go and you watch Gene Kelly dancing and then you watch Ryan Gosling dancing, you realize he's pa- Ryan Gosling's passable. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen anybody, any guys dance in 40 years. So who knows what it's supposed to look like? And we're like, oh, Ryan Gosling did great. <laughs> but when you watch the greats do it, uh-huh. obviously they were professional dancers. Yeah. They didn't learn to dance for one movie. Um, okay. I, I, I pose this question and I didn't even know where I'd. Like I didn't even have them picked out myself. I'm just going to real quick, like off the cuff go with, and, and I don't think this would have made it a better film, but it would have gotten my butt in a seat. Um, obviously Donald Glover for Sebastian. We, we all know that. Yeah. yeah. And then, oh, uh, or for Mia, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm sold, whatever. <laughs> and then Greta Gerwig for Mia. Can she sing? I don't know if she can sing, but the, I think the sort of, uh, she is willing to embarrass herself. And yes. And so I think she could have pulled that off. Just as endearingly. One of the few actresses that could. Uh, let me spit out a couple and you tell me would you watch it or not. Uh, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake. Actually, yes, I would. I don't think it would be as good, but I would. Neil Patrick Harris and Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I think it would be fine. I like Elvis and and Margaret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, oh, oh, I just it, well, out that, of that. That'd that's actually great. something that would probably sit in my queue forever and I would mean to get to it, but I You're honestly right. would not. Okay. What if it was, what if it was Ricky Nelson and Anne Margaret? Ooh, not Ricky Nelson in this though. I don't know about Ricky Nelson dancing if he's, but if he's singing about my guitar, my pony and me, is that a, what's his, yeah. what's his real Bravo? Yeah. I would. I think that's the song. I'd, also, I'd I, that. I, I think Dean Martin in this would be great too, but there, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, options i i'm you're not gonna get better than gene kelly for me okay let's jake let's go ahead and get into spoilers on this uh because there's a couple things that i would like to kind of expand upon that may sort of ruin the uh the film for those who haven't seen it so midnight warriors if you would like to skip ahead to the beer pairing or really rad recommendations check the show notes we're getting into spoilers right now And seriously, on spoilers, do, do not listen to this if you haven't seen it, because this is one of the greatest endings of any movie I've seen in, in 10 years. Seriously, if you haven't seen it, skip this. Seriously, guys, come on. Okay, so two things that I would like to get into, Jake. First one, uh, the dinner scene, the fight. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it honestly is it rivals the end of this movie as my favorite part of the film. Um, I think the execution is just so perfect and it. And I think it speaks to Chazelle's music, musical background because it has a very musical quality to sort of the way it escalates and the way that he uses the music in the background. And it's kind of like jazz in itself, the way they're both going back, doing their own thing, Mm kind of, he describes jazz earlier and that fight is sort of, shot or shown or or paced the same way yeah it, it just the way the way that they so he, he puts the song on and then it sort of escalates and crescendos and then i think that i believe the song ends and then it's sort of silence and then it's mm-hmm. all broken with 
the uh, alarm going off the the yes. smoke alarm. Just like it, it, it was such a it it felt like a marathon, or it felt like this just. I was out of breath by the end of it. It was beautiful it, and heartbreaking. It did. And it raised questions like, what the hell was he cooking in that oven? <laughs> what was what, that? Was he, what was that? I don't even... Did, did he have a giant four-tier cake in the oven? I couldn't... He pulled it out and it looked it was, like a hat was a box Chicago was on style fire. pizza inside a Chicago-style pizza. It, it, was a, it was a Taco Town pizza was, in the oven. I, I don't know... <laughs> what that was but it, regardless it didn't matter and it, well and it was kind of a great punchline to like let off some steam from what just happened um yes and bl- blow off some smoke <laughs> oh boy um but i, I space I, is the last thing i need <sighs> okay uh but no i i think and and i think that scene really pivotally shows um what i think chazelle does so exactingly right with this in the way that, you know, this, this film is really about um, sort of the internal and external struggle with creativity and um, trying to, like I said, in the, in the opening, trying to balance um, creative ambition with love and a relationship. And then also balance with, uh, I, I feel like at least I experience this. I, I feel like all creative people experience this, this sort of back and forth between just trying to do something for yourself and not caring, you know, what anyone else, mm-hmm. how it's going to be received. And, but then ultimately caring what someone else thinks or caring how it's received. And that, uh, you know, you can, you can go down a real dark place if you follow criticism and, aren't, you know, prepared for it and, and to say, well, maybe that's, maybe it's okay that someone doesn't care for it, but, um, it, there are still those who do, or, uh, that's, it's just, it's just a beautiful portrait of that, that I I feel like you don't see that often on screen. And balancing self and love and making a living and, Mm -hmm. and working for somebody else now to work for yourself later and, it's a. I think he hit the nail on the head. And on a more technical aspect, I love he put that scene in the same spot where earlier they were singing their uh, "City of Stars" yeah. that song. Yeah. Um, and it's the camera feels similar because it's set uh, against that curtain and it's shot in sort of the same spot that you, the got, pe- you have the same light coming through the curtain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so it felt even more painful because it was in a spot where before we saw them being maybe their happiest. And then we see them breaking apart in the same spot. I thought that was really well done because he didn't try to make the room look different. He, because to them it wasn't, it was still their relationship and they still felt like they loved each other, but they were fighting. Yeah. Great. Well, and that's, that's the thing is it's, it's this contradiction of what, what you want versus what you know you need. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to say that in some sort of flippant cliche sort of way, because this doesn't feel like this, that, that scene could have very easily felt like the end of the second act for a Judd Apatow film. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is the, oh, I guess I got to sell all my comic books. Oh, I guess I, uh, we're, we're not going to get together even though I got you pregnant. You know, that just, I, I. 
one of my I guess big- we're not going to make a porno, even though we were going to make a porno. I, is that how that one goes? I never saw that one. I don't remember. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, but Judd Apatow, just like he wears his he wears his scene changes or his act changes on his sleeve. Um, this felt so believable and so right and so perfect. And so like the, the thing that hurt about it was um, you understood why they were fighting and why they probably shouldn't be together. But you still want them to be together because um, it's sort of that conflict between and, the personal drive of creativity and the desire to be happy and have a loving relationship. And and I don't think this was just, you know, a love story and we were just following them or anything or guy meets girl or anything like that. Yeah. It felt like a statement on creativity and what you what you need and what you need to do to be creative in the life of these people who go out to L.A., which is going to play real well with Academy voters. Right. Well, and that that's why when, so we get that five years later and we sort of see that, okay, everything's going great for Sebastian. Everything's going great for Mia. Oh, Mia's coming home to Sebastian. This is like, this is the happy warm ending that we, oh shit. Shades. What are you doing in Mia's home? <laughs> why? She has a type. She likes the the jazz musicians who sell out to be in pop bands. It's that's just her type. He is Spartacus. Um, but that that is that is the the just I don't even know. Like the fact that he took the chance to try to pull it off in that manner, and I think pulls it off a thousand percent was incredible because. Generally, in another, if I'll I'll just stay with my Jed Apatow uh, analogy, Jed Apatow would not allow you to have a. It would either be a bittersweet ending or it would be a happily ever after ending. Man, that guy's really taking a beating in this conversation. <laughs> well, um, but he does something that's very difficult and pulls it off very well in the way that you realize, like she's she is happy in her marriage to Shades and. Uh, for I guess we should probably clarify uh, Shades being the guy that plays Shades in um, in uh, that thing you that do, thing you do, which I should also say that Joey Dale, who has been on the show several times in the past, is the one that pointed out that that's who it was to me. I didn't I didn't catch it right away. Um, oh, I knew right away. He leaned over right like away. credits start to roll and he leaned over and said mm, fucking Shades from that thing you do. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there we go. Um, but. So he he does he does this thing where you kind of accept that like okay she's moved on it's really like I thought we were going to go one direction and I'm really upset that we didn't but I'm also happy that she's not you know it's not like oh well I'm damaged and it's gonna this baggage is gonna carry you know carry along with me forever she's happy she has she has a daughter she has a happy family she's um she is in love it's not like it doesn't seem like she settled at all and then of all all the jazz joints in all of la <laughs> she walks into his uh-huh and for i mean for what 10 minutes um i i slowly if i i it chris it could it could have it felt like 30 seconds it could have been two and a half hours i assume 10 minutes is an accurate depiction of that time I honest to God do not know it. It slowly lulled me into believing, holy shit, he's going to pull this off. He is going to, we've, because we've already seen some magical realist stuff. He is going to somehow thread this needle and, uh, he, he is, he's going to convince us 
that he he did a last temptation of Christ on us, and he actually gave them somehow in this magical realist world the ability to choose to go back in time and choose a different path. And uh, spoilers for Casablanca. Actually, I don't care. It's been seventy years. If you haven't seen it, too too bad. That's Casablanca in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. The end of this movie. But but the way that like it, it's this it's this really it's this duality going at the at the same time and like it's I want to accept that that's what happens but then at the same time in the back of my mind I'm like well why do you introduce shades if all you're going to do is have and happily ever after and the final like he sticks the landing so perfectly in a way that I honestly can't think of a film that that pulls together this you know complex contradictory emotion in such a perfect way in they are both happy they both got exactly what they want but at the same time they can be mournful of what could have been um and not in a not in a we didn't live happily ever after but alternative timeline happily ever after still could have happened and that would have been sweet as well yeah when when bogey sends her on the plane at the end of the movie mm-hmm. you know they both are getting what they need to have even if they want each other, they're getting what they need. And that little look in this movie before they walk out is going to be, I don't know, maybe does Lost in Translation stick the ending that well? Is that the the last great ending to a movie? I, I, I don't even, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's, it's just, it is such a perfect knock and such a, but it's still, it's such a like, I don't know. It's still a fresh wounded me. I only saw it a couple days ago. I know. And then for 2016, for them to, have her out of frame. He goes to play the keys. The end. Mm-hmm. No, like, no crane shot leaving. Yeah. Nothing. No, the last great ending was No Country for Old Men. Mm. That was the last mm. great ending. Fair. Very fair. Um, it's the best ending since No Country for Old Men. What, what if What if she got Meet Joe Blacked, though? I, don't, I didn't. She walks out and then gets hit by two cars. Oh, good God. Is that what happened? I, that's the beginning of Meet Joe Black. Oh, okay. Um, I... Finished this movie and I I sent you a message, Chris, uh, or called you and said, on a scale of one to ten, how many years has it been since you've seen a movie this good? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or this is the greatest movie in how many years? And I kept thinking it was nine Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. No Country for Old Men, and that's the last great movie I've seen. But I think it's Mad Max. I think this is the best movie I've seen since Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and that's that's a fair, like... I think a lot of things that if you try to compare it like Mad Max, this this might be this year's Mad Max, though, in in several ways. I will say it's not my favorite film of the year. Um, I know. But that's you're broken, though. You're a bad person and it's fine. You can like other things. <laughs> I, I I thoroughly. Your, your favorite film was a five part documentary series for ESPN, shh, but that's OK. Shh. But yeah, if you haven't seen OJ Made in America, <laughs> you need to see OJ Made in America right now. Just waste your entire weekend watching it. Um, after you come and see Westworld, of course. Um, but it's it, no, it, it's certainly up there. This this is exactly the nightcap that I needed on a pretty rough and turbulent year. Yeah. Uh, the, the real thing I would compare it to from recent memory is Midnight in Paris. Spoilers are done. Spoilers are done. Turns out Rosebud was only a sled. And also her regular dad. 
this when our Midnight Warriors finally find a Cineplex that is showing La La Land, where they can find two seats next to each other, which took me, oh, I don't know, a week to be able to find. Mm-hmm. And they want to sneak that beer in, as we suggest all of our listeners do all the time to every movie. <laughs> uh, what, what should what should they what should they throw under the coat uh, to get in there? Uh, my pick for La La Land is actually a beer that I kind of brought up in passing on the Rogue One episode, um, and I am I was fully prepared to sort of pair it with La La Land if I loved it and enjoyed it, um, and I am happy to say that I can. Um, it is the Barrel Age Tin Fitty Imperial Stout by Oscar Blues Brewing in Longmount, Colorado. Uh, this is a uh, so Tin Fitty is a Imperial Stout that Oscar Blues makes that's very good. It's it's rich and chocolatey and just what you want in the winter time. Uh, but they've taken it a step further and they've aged it in bourbon barrels. And you know how much I love a barrel aged ale. Um, which just adds a whole nother complexity to it that, uh, makes it richer and sweeter and gives it a little boozy bite at the end. It's really incredible. Um, there is, I guess, one caveat to this. It's a, uh, it's a seasonal. So this would be the barrel age 10 2016, um, in Oklahoma, as far as I understand it, you can't find it in cans. You can only find it at a bar. Um, as of last time I checked, I don't know if this is still the case, but Roosevelt's and Tulsa had it. Um, it's a little pricey, but worth it. You can get, you can get their little four ounce sort of sampler and, and try it there. It is, it is so darn good. It's the best beer I've had in a very, very long time. On a, on a scale of one to 10, it's the best beer you've had in how many years? Ooh, um, maybe since the first time I had a Prairie Bomb could be, could be that. And that's. I, I know that means nothing to you, but that that's pretty it's it's incredible. It's really incredible. If if you are outside of Oklahoma, say Arkansas, um, which is the closest place that we could get it, um, you can find it in these tall stovepipe cans. Um it's it's just it's wonderful. It, it it would be the perfect pairing with this because it's it's complex and sweet and what you expect out of the out of the the style of a of a imperial stout but also so much more or in louisiana the real la la land you can just drink it on the street in front of a purple and gold sunset so i mean <laughs> right it's really up to you right uh that is barrel aged tin fitty imperial stout by oscar blues brewing la la land is currently playing at movie theaters nationwide but if you're in tulsa we recommend you check it out at the circle cinema starting january 6th circle members who see it on the 6th will get free popcorn if you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around for our really rad recommendations. Coming up next. Take these tattered boxes, use to hold your clothes, break them down, build them back up with Whee! your bones. All you do is construct a mess You're dead to me if love is death Your memory with nothing to show Well, well, well Your fingertips are relationships there Or maybe I could use a brain She smiles, she points at me, she says Baby, I love how you sing So just
All right, Jake, it is really rad recommendation time once again. What do you have to recommend this week? Uh, well, I may have spoiled it with a little uh, name drop earlier on, but I'm going to recommend the Disney classic. Casablanca. No, no. <laughs> the Disney I'm going to recommend the Disney classic Casablanca. Uh, <laughs> yes, where a, a fox uh, voiced by Humphrey Bogart runs a bar in Casablanca. No, I am going with 1995's A Goofy Movie. Directed by Kevin Lima, who, in a really big stretch to make this link up, aside from the fact that they're both musicals, he also directed Enchanted, which was nominated three times over for Best Original Song, which La La Land should get at least two, in my opinion. All right. Yeah. So, Jake, a goofy movie. It has been, it's it's amazing that it took this long. A goofy movie. What do you love about it? Go. Everything, start to finish. It's a lot like this movie, except I like the opening number. Um, and all the numbers it's, it is the most underrated Disney movie possibly ever. And one of the reasons why is it was done by, uh, a different studio. Disney mm-hmm. would let Disney tune studios, which for the most part, I believe was in Australia, uh, do some of the, um, I don't know if all of these are exactly right, but stuff like Lion King one and a half or uh, okay. Mulan two, those sorts of movies where they're not considered Disney animated classics. They're they're not canon. They're not canon right? Disney films. Is is this the same group that did like Goof Troop? Yeah. Or is that I think completely it had to different? Be. I think it had to be. Okay. Um okay. but so this isn't considered like on the same level. It doesn't have any like I don't think Max is anywhere in Disney World. Like you're not gonna go to Disney World and see a, a goofy movie ride which is a crime and i need to boycott disney world until that happens so <laughs> forever because it's not coming back but the songs are absolutely top-notch here even down to the uh fake superstar they have do you know his name chris no i don't jake it's power it's Powerline. wait have you not seen this movie confession chris I need to add a goofy movie. Christopher. You are about to have a child and you've never seen a goofy movie. How are you going to raise a child? Oh my God. Does does, Liz aware of this? Why does she marry you? You've never seen a goofy movie. I think you and Liz have very different criteria, but Uh, uh, no, I've, I've never seen it. At least not in recollection. I watched a lot of goof troop, but no, just just do yours they go camping just do right your, I can't, yeah they, they they are meant to go camping chris but okay. max wants to get to Powerline, the superstar who is like michael jackson and prince put together um, okay in, in order to impress the girl uh roxanne who um is his like high school crush he wants to impress her but he has to go on this camping trip with his dad watch it watch it why am i explaining it watch it i'm more if you had told me you'd never seen casablanca i'd still be more offended that you haven't seen a goofy movie because how did you live a life without running into this movie you never went to the dentist you never had a substitute teacher what is wrong with you a babysitter had to come over once in your life chris no i had an older sister Oh, my God. So you just watch Fern Gully on repeat? Seriously. I don't think I... Well, no, I think I saw Fern Gully in class. I think everybody so, did. I think it was mandated. Yeah, it was like the, those days when you couldn't have blacktop day, so you had to do inside day. I think we watched some Fern Gully. I, 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 or like the substitute teacher is just somebody's mom who came in to volunteer, so just watch Fern Gully. It's fine. It's a science class. It's sciencey, right? Fern <laughs> right. Gully. 
Right. Oh, man. I'm, if you had said that you hated La La Land, I wouldn't have been as mad as you not seeing a Goofy movie. I'm as well, mad about a Goofy can... movie as you probably are about me not liking a lobster. No, I'm not mad about you not liking a lobster because I know that it is a uh, it's a, it's not everyone's taste. It's yeah, like I, it would be like me getting mad that someone's like, I don't I don't understand Wes Anderson. It's totally different. We can we can add it to the war crimes queue. Uh, the fine. top of the war crimes. All right. I, I, I guess I'll wrap up my rant and, and allow Chris <laughs> to speak, even though I feel like he's lost all right to speak to me. But a goofy movie is available to rent on Amazon, Voodoo, iTunes, and, you know, probably some other places. But for sure, it was available at a Hollywood video in 1996. War Starts at Midnight brought to you by Hollywood Video. Um, and Chris, do you, I guess, want to pitch some crappy non-goofy movie film for people to maybe watch or something? I, I do, Jake. And I f- believe this is a war crime of yours. It is, but it's not. I know it is, but it's not as big as a goofy movie. I, yeah, in, in some people's minds, mine, it is perhaps as big as a goofy movie. Uh, this is a movie that I have spoken about a few times on the show before, but I don't think I've ever actually recommended it. It is the Palin Pressburger. 1948 uh, classic about art and opera and ballet and relationships and all of these things meshed together. The Red Shoes starring uh, Maura Shearer and Anton Walbrook and several others. It is it's beautiful. And it's like so when when Black Swan came out, it felt like sort of a ripoff of of this film. and I feel like actually La La Land is maybe a more precise connection, even though it doesn't even feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like it's a one to one, but they're dealing with such similar subject matter. It is uh, it's about uh, this ballerina who is, you know, her dream is to become the prima ballerina of the company and sort of her struggle between her artistic uh, endeavors and her relationship um, with this young conductor and uh, sort of how how those things come together and then push apart because of, you know, trying to make the, you know, the struggle between personal relationships and uh, creative ambition. And uh, beyond that, beyond thematic uh, comparisons, it's the, the, the final 10 minute beautiful sequence of La La Land um, made me feel a lot uh, like I felt in the there's a I don't know exactly how long it is. It's probably between 15 and 20 minutes. Um, this moment that I, I know I've spoken about on the show before, but just incredible filmmaking of uh, this. Uh, it, well, it's it's a performance of uh, the Red Shoes, this this ballet that the uh, that, that the film is named after. And it starts out as a performance on stage and then transforms into this beautiful, amazing, magical, realist sort of m- moment where through through editing and lighting cues and all these things, you're transported into the story and around the world of the story. And it's just, it's beautiful and vibrant and just all... You know, it's all about the ballet. It's all about the movement. It's all about, uh, but then it's also at the same time, it's all about cinema and the art of cinema and the, the magic of cinema. Um, all that's colliding and, uh, it just sucks you in for like 20 minutes and then it drops you back off 
on the stage um, and then back into the reality of the film. And they sort of coexist in this, this amazing way um, it worth. This film is worth seeing for that alone, but also for the masterful storytelling by Palin Pressburger, which if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know, my feelings on, um, on their ability to sort of weave intricate uh, character arcs and everything together. Um, really, really beautiful, wonderful stuff. This is currently available on Filmstruck to stream if you have a subscription there, or you can rent or buy it on Amazon. And it's also available in a, a really, really great uh, Criterion Blu-ray. You got nothing? I'm, st- I'm still not speaking to you, Chris. <laughs> you haven't seen a Goofy movie. I have nothing to say about your little red shoes thing, except did you notice there was a reference to the boy with the red balloon in La La Land? I did not. Where was that? Yeah, in that dream sequence at the end when they're walking through Paris and uh, they hand her some mm-hmm. balloons, but there's they also like mm-hmm. set out a boy with a red balloon on the street. I I saw it, but I didn't catch the very very astute uh, yeah, viewer of uh, cinema that is not the lobster you are, Jake. Uh, <laughs> apparently, when they gave her balloons, it's a reference to Funny Face, which is a film I have not seen, but did rent this morning so that I can watch that <laughs> before I go and inevitably see La La Land again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can find a seat, my God. You just got to buy them in advance. Yeah, but... Uh, Quit trying to buy them day of. I, I would think a 10-10 in the morning movie would not be sold out, but... Yeah, well, that's the second time that you've run into that, though. So I got to I gotta say... Yeah, I got to say your plan. your plan's not working out. Yeah, both with La La Land. Yeah. And that is a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Or say hello on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WSAMPod. If you enjoy the show, even though one of the hosts hasn't seen a goofy movie, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through all these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong about one of the best pictures of the year at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. The Spoiler Alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine. Check them out at facebook.com slash thetaylormachine. And shout out to The Format for music on this week's show. Find more at theformatmerch.com. Join us next week for a very special War Crimes review of Michael Crichton's 1973 sci-fi western starring Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, and James Brolin, Westworld. And don't forget to join us at Circle Cinema for the special two-night-only screening of Westworld, January 13th and 14th at 10 p.m. Tickets are on sale now. You can find a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, folks. Welcome to Sebs. I, I half in my mind think that eventually at some point this just turns into a a kids movie podcast. <laughs> just just slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Just slowly but surely. Uh-huh. Uh who's gonna get a Rocket Man reference? Oh, I think people will get a Rocket Man reference. Uh, um things so. things I remember about Rocket Man, he farts in his suit and then uh the physical comedy ensues. 
Yeah, so you saw the trailer because that was in the trailer. No, no, no. I saw. I I vividly remember seeing this movie at a sleepover. Oh, that that it. I feel like kids have to still be watching it at a sleepover now. It's it is this. It is a sleepover movie. 